Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm the Gnarly Gnome. This is Scentsy Brewcast. It's the voice of Scentsy Craft. It's your uh, favorite craft beer podcast that talks about not other craft beer podcasts. (laughs) But this episode is sponsored by the one and the only Truth Beer Podsequences. They are this week's sponsor. So a shout out to them. If you like listening to people talk about other craft beer podcasts, uh, listen to Truth Beer Podsequences. I think you can find them at truthbeerpod.com uh, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just type it in and you can find it. We'll, uh, I'll mention it again before the end of the show just to give you a reminder to do it uh, after you get done listening to this episode. But uh, this is a good one. We are uh, we're sitting at Urban Artifact. We're going to drink a bunch of different things because they're there's a lot of different topics to cover here, as always. <laughs> uh, the biggest one, uh, when you're listening to this uh, next weekend, ass- assuming you're listening to this when it posts, uh, is Missing Link, which is down here at Urban Artifact and at Humble Monk. Um, we've done a couple episodes about what Missing Link is, but we'll kind of uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it again um, on this episode. But um, if I remember, and I will try to remember, I'll put links to those episodes in the show notes. So if you are new to the show, you can jump back and listen to uh, last year where we uh, went very in-depth kind of into Missing Link and um, drank a whole bunch of beer <laughs> over at Westside. Um, and then I think um, there was one other episode from whatever year that was that 20, 2019 was that, does that sound right? The first year you guys canned it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, we had an episode that year too where we kind of went the whole story of how it all came about. But um, how are you guys doing? Brett and, uh, and Mike? Uh, I'm all right. I, you know, I have, uh, I've had the pleasure to do this show a couple times and um, I'm doing something really weird today, which is to show up sober. <laughs> uh, <so laughs> <laughs> I can't make any promises how that's going to work out, but uh, <laughs> I'm doing all right otherwise. So if anybody wonders why you're incredibly boring. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Damn, drink some beer. Yeah. So say something interesting, <laughs> you prick. Yeah, there's, there's also, you guys uh, do a podcast together, which I don't think I've had you on the show since you guys started doing that. Uh, oh, definitely yeah. have it on since, haven't had you guys on since the launch of this last uh, season. Um, and I mean, we could sit and talk about that for an entire episode alone. This, the uh, truth, or, uh, um, Bruce guys, happy hour. Yep. Um, it is you guys this season, you are diving in really deep to the history of craft beer in the United States, which is a mind blowingly big topic. There's <laughs> a lot. I can't, I can't imagine. Like I, I you know, and the, the episodes that have come out are still at the very beginning of craft beer in this country, which is almost kind of the, the easier part to kind of explore as it starts getting deeper and deeper. There's way different roads yeah. you could go down to try to tell that story. But um, so far you guys have done an incredible job. Well, thanks. We thought it would just be a fun little mini series, uh, a mini season, if you will. Uh, we'll hit a couple of big names. We'll have a little bit of fun. We'll drink some beers. We'll get made fun of by Fritz Maytag, and we'll move on. <laughs> Stupid sour beer. <laughs> uh, but what ended up happening is, is that the more people we talked to, we were like, well, shit, now we got to do this. Now we got to follow that trail. Now we got to do this. So we basically got through season this season, season two, which really season one of Bruce Guy's podcast doesn't count anyway. We were, didn't know what the hell we were doing. We, we were, were just locked up. <laughs> Need an excuse to get bored alone, but with people. Yes. So we got up through the late 80s, like right to 1990s with this season two. So our plan now is screw it. Let's turn this into two, three more seasons after yeah. this. And we'll do the 90s, which is going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, we'll go into the tw- 2000s and uh, early 10s and really talk about the explosion and modernization of craft beer into this postmodern hellscape that we're in now from, you know, 2011 on, and then maybe a season on what's next up and comers and things to come. So we got, we got, uh, Months and months of months, if not years of content coming your way. <laughs> well, and if, if anybody hasn't listened to the first season, it does kind of, uh, and I assume most of the people that listen to this show uh, probably already kind of know your guys' personalities, but like that, getting that first season where yeah, you were locked up and everything, but it gives you as a listener like this, this huge chunk of episodes where you kind of figure out who you guys are. And I think that that, that makes the, the newer season way more enjoyable too and kind of, uh, make some of the uh, some of the little banter a little funnier too. I think it just it, 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 I think it improves the later kind of content to have that earlier content. It was I, good practice for us too. It like really was like that banter. You know, it comes easy because we hang out and we're friends and everything. But you still got to work on it. Sure, it's still practice. Yeah, uh, it, 
it's kind of fun to think. I mean, you, you mentioned a lot of ways you could kind of go with future seasons, but I mean, you could even, uh, obviously my perspective, you know, the history of beer in Cincinnati is a whole season of podcast episodes, but how many cities have some kind of history like that where you could dive in? Like, here's how things happened here. Here's how things happened here. Here's, here's how logger happened in the United States. You know, here's how, like, there's just so many topics that if, you know, you have people that uh, are able to, to dive into that could, and uh, there's, you know, there are a lot of very smart people that uh, like history that are very boring <laughs> and, and, and don't make good podcast hosts. It's really hard to find people with that, that knowledge and that interest in it that are also fun to listen to. And so it's, it's you guys kind of are, are hitting it right on the head right now. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so also go subscribe to that show if you haven't already. Uh, I will remember to put a link. I need to write down all the things I'm supposed to link. Um, we should drink a beer because there's a bunch of beer sitting on the table. Yeah. Yeah. What do you want to start with? Uh, you you guide me towards what you want to talk about first. And- okay. Well, uh, this is, I guess, the easiest thing to explain is we're launching a line of uh, nitro beers. So Nice. Uh, this is the first one of that. It's uh, peaches and cream. So it's just peach and all the vanilla. So uh, nitro yeah. fruit tart. All right. We'll start, <laughs> let's, let's, let's explain all of the fruit tarts and how they exist and what they all mean. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're still kind of trying to figure this out ourselves, but what we do know is that we're moving away from referring to anything we do as beer anymore. And we're calling everything fruit tarts. Beer is wonderful and beer is great, but, with the convoluted nature of what the world is currently, especially the craft beer landscape, I think it's time that we kind of look a little bit more seriously about what is actually beer and what's not. And if you look at it like that, we're not making beer. I mean, legally it's beer, but everything is so fruit forward. It's tart. It's all about accentuating these fruit or food flavors that we have. So it's not really beer. Beer is about the marriage of hops and grains as we currently know it. So we decided, all right, it's not beer anymore. They're fruit tarts. Now, how do we describe them? Okay, we got the Midwest fruit tart. That's kind of our, our base point. Let's build off of that. Right. So the more specific we get usually means more fruit, higher alcohol. And then the less specific we get. So you got a Midwest fruit tart down to American fruit tart. It's about a third of the less fruit, a uh, little lower ABV, down to the fruit tart, like Key Punch now. Uh, and that's even less fruit, lower ABV still. So I kind of like to think of it as, if you want to look at beer, you have your pale ale, your IPA, your double IPA, your triple, your red, all the bullshit that's involved with the IPA. We're kind of just applying that same language to our own style of fermented beverage, the fruit tart. It's a great description of it all. <laughs> this, this idea, though, that you, you say you're not making beer anymore. Um, uh, that's true for almost everybody and nobody's really kind of admitting it as uh, as a brewery that what they're doing is vastly different from uh, what these guys that you guys are talking about on Bruce guys and what they were doing when they start, like it's the product is, is different. It's, it, it kind of fits into that same category and certainly the, the culture around it and stuff is, is the same thing, but um, the, the product is not anywhere close to what it was at one time for the most part. And I'm not saying that people aren't still making real beer, but um, it's a really interesting thought that, um, you guys are putting yourselves out there and, and saying, you know, not only do we invent our own beer style, uh, <laughs> we just realize that it's not a beer style. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's basically, that's exactly it. I mean, wh- and at what point too, does this not all hit the fan, so to speak with the RTD, uh, excise tax push that's happening right now, state by state basis from the spirit lobby. I mean, right, we're at a time where there's no better time to try to get ahead of it as a beer industry than now and try to establish like, okay, we know the rules are changing. Let's set these new rules rather than just get right. steamrolled by spirits, which is what is exactly going to happen because the BA can't get off their own asses and look forward and they can't tell brewers that they're doing a bad job or things are scary or troubling times are ahead. The only thing they can do is say rah, rah, rah. So shame on them for that. But what we need to do is get ahead of this shit so we can control the narrative and we can set exactly what we want beer to be in this country and we can set what we want FMBs to be. We can do all of this if we're just proactive about it. Well, I think even from less from like a, like a legal uh, standpoint of defining um, what these different beverages are from the consumer standpoint, it's so 
confusing trying to understand what it is you're actually buying when you walk into a store these days or, you know, seltzer festival. I went to the Cincinnati seltzer festival and I walked Why? in because <laughs> they gave me a free ticket <laughs> and drank a whole bunch of geisties. <laughs> that geisties is really good. It's so good. Um, but I, I looked around and none of it was seltzer in what I think of seltzer. Uh, there was everything from, you know, like hard tea to lemonades to um, canned cocktails to uh, uh, seltzer tarts. What do you, what do you call those? <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. So, you know, like, there was so many different things that, uh, that all were very different products, but to me, almost none of them were actually seltzers. And uh, from a consumer, that's really confusing when you walk into a store. I know yeah. that I know that I like things that are this, but just by the the style that's written on the can, I have no idea if that's what that is half of the time. And it's almost like every single F and B is just like seltzer's the hot word, so screw it. We're just gonna call these F and B's seltzers. Yeah. Exactly. It's like the IPAification, but Ex- with seltzer Exactly. And that's like, you know, beer has has definitely turned into that to where if I walk into the average beer bar and I look at a a beer that I've never had before from a brewery that I don't know. I have no idea what that beer is, no matter what they write on that board, because I don't trust that just because it says IPA that I know what that means. I don't even trust that if I ask the bartender that their description of what they're going to tell me it is, is going to be anywhere close to what it is. Yeah. So like this, this idea of like um, kind of taking control of that and uh, from the, the beer drinkers and the, con- the consumers of the beer, and then also the people that are making it, kind of putting your foot down and kind of defining this within the industry too, I think is good for consumers, but you're right. Even within a style standpoint, I drove across the state of Arizona a couple months ago. Yeah. And I mean, by the end of it, I was just begging somebody to serve me an IPA that was bitter. You know, can my style of beer that's supposed to be bitter, just be fucking bitter, man. (laughs) <laughs> does it all have to taste like orange juice now that's not an ipa stop well, ipa is the easy one to pick on because yeah. it's it's so because that's so popular yeah. but it really is true in almost every style that if you order a pilsner there is something that in my head that's supposed to be mm-hmm. it's probably not going to be that way when i walk in somewhere <laughs> There's, and the true the the true agonizing thing about all of it is nothing's wrong with the liquids it's just the language this the shared language that we used to have is gone and it's we're just it's ready to be reset we've reached this weird point where we just need to take a step back look at all this stuff again and reanalyze what we're calling what and why rather than just chasing the dollar for the dollar sick uh which calling everything an ipa you basically remove all meaning from what ipa is and then at what point in time are we so far down the rabbit hole that it makes it inhospitable for new people to get on board if you're if you're just getting into craft beer and you knew IPA was one thing and it meant one thing and it tasted like one thing, you try that one IPA and you get it and you're like, cool, I understand IPA. I want to try this next thing now. Well, now if you try an IPA, who knows what you're going to get? Right, is right. that is that inviting for new people? Is this next generation going to want to come on? You know, I don't know about you. I think of it, I almost think of it like uh, MMOs. I don't know if you've ever played an MMO online before. Well, if you get on with when they just start, the game's pretty straightforward. You understand the rules. But over the years, because they want you to keep paying the monthly fee and shit, they keep adding expansions and new features and expansions and new features, and it just gets insane. And if you try to join one that's existed for 10 years, you're beyond lost. It's beyond intimidating. And I feel like that's where craft beer is right now. We kind of need to... I think of it, too, like uh, from a different perspective as a a drinker. uh, I'll compare it to my mom's meatloaf. When I grew up, I thought that I hated meatloaf. I thought meatloaf was terrible because the meatloaf I had had <laughs> and my understanding of meatloaf was kind of, I don't think she listens to this show. So I know, but it was terrible. It was, it was, it was ridiculous. And as I got older and then I kind of started to find other meatloaf, uh, I realized that no, it was just that meatloaf. <laughs> and it's very easy as a beer drinker to uh, try an IPA or try whatever the beer style is, you know, name anything. And you try one that, isn't what you thought it was going to be or isn't what somebody described it to you. And then in your head, like, well, I, I must not be, you know, uh, a good enough beer drinker. My palate must not be defined enough to, to pick these things out because this just tastes like crap to me. And um, then you kind of leave that style and you go to other things or you, you, you just latch on. Well, I guess seltzer is the only thing that I like because the beer that I had wasn't good because you know it, it just, it, 
it limits consumers from exploration too. If they, um, <laughs> they, they end up with something that, that they, uh, think is supposed to be something that it's not or vice versa. There's also that something that's going on that has troubled me for a while, which is that that's happening in the industry. But what the industry is also doing is the industry is chasing the consumer in a way that I don't think used to occur. You know, when I was young, uh, you learn to expand your palate. You know, you learn to recognize more complex flavors. You learn to enjoy better beers. You learn to enjoy bourbon and scotch. But, you know, the industry now seems to, to be, let's just cater to what an 18-year-old wants to drink. You know, let's make beer taste like a cupcake. Uh, let's make alcoholic beverages that don't taste like anything. And I'm not sure how you deal with that either. I don't know that anybody's ever solved how you deal with it. Because I, I would argue that it's not that the industry was uh, was that way. I think I think the industry was, was the opposite of that. I think you, the, the, the successful part of the industry, the big beer, was the, the, the people that were successful by chasing what people really wanted, which was... Flavorless. Flavorless <laughs> beer. Because <Yeah>. you want it. <laughs> and, and, and they became very successful in, in just getting better and better and better at giving them that. And I... Th- that's kind of terrifying to think about that the the success all along has been the people that are the chasing. lowest common denominator. Yeah, like that's that that's that's sad. Um, I don't know. Scary is probably not the right word because I there's you can't go back now. Like we will always have craft beer. There'll always be those people right. that are willing to craft a better beverage. But um, I'd argue that the lack of I'd argue that there's less creativity now than there has been in like. 20 years of beer. Like we're at a point where just throwing crap into the mash tun doesn't make you creative. Buying Oreos, there's no craft in buying a thing that got mass produced that you put into your thing that you're calling craft. Where's the craft in the machine that made an Oreo that you dumped into your (laughs) product? You're not a craft anything. You're just a shill. Do you think that there is less creativity now or it's just getting kind of hidden behind all of the other stuff? Because there are just so many breweries now that there, mm. there probably are as many people that are really passionate about this as there ever have been. That's a good point. There but probably there are is. We're just so not seeing it. Many people it. that aren't that it kind of, it's hard to look, you know, to, to see the forest through the trees, I guess. Oh, that's a, that's a really good point. It could just be like, it's, it's probably a personal bias thing for sure. Cause if they have 9,000 breweries, there's definitely more that are being creative as a whole, right? But they're not maybe getting the same attention. Uh, yeah, that's a really good point. I, you know, I'd argue though too that having constraints helps creativity as well. And and right now there's just constraints are insane. Like for us, you know, we put this constraint on ourselves of the fruit tart that we've created and we stick with these really strict values that we have for ourselves as a company in regards to the ingredients we use. And it, I'd argue that it's spurred creativity in us and innovation in us that we wouldn't otherwise have had. And that's why I like the missing link as well because the the thing is you have to use this yeast and it's got a lot of peculiar fermentation uh, <laughs> constraints that you need to work around, but you get something really creative out of it. So uh, yeah. I, I kind of think that maybe getting a little bit more rigid. Bring back Ryan Heights, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, there's there's some kind of truth to that. That like at one time, if somebody made a beer that tasted like Oreos, it was exciting because they figured out a way to make a beer taste like an Oreo with using beer ingredients. <laughs> and yes. now it's like, oh yeah, we just. We put a bunch of Oreos in there. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, or, you know, trying to find how to make a beer taste like a fruit, which you guys have mastered because you use fruit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it's like, it, the, you know, it's not somebody just dumping in some kind of chemical that's like, oh, yeah, you just you put this in here and it makes it taste like that. <laughs> it's like, it's uh, the, the craft behind it has, um, has gotten lost a little bit. Uh, but I still think that there are people that are that are doing it and doing it very well. I think there are a lot of people doing it well. It's just again, it's the quiet quiet majority type thing. It kind of seems like well, and and you even some of those people that are absolutely brilliant at what they do. Um, you you walk in and yes, they have some really well crafted beer, but then you look around and you have a room full of people with a seltzer in their hand or one of those other cupcake beers or something, and it's like oh man, like here here's this beer that's on tap that is perfect that is just absolutely brilliantly done and none of you care. Like nobody in this room right. actually cares. And, and mm. I get it, you know, as a, as a business, you, you have to, you have to do what you have to do, but, um, 
It's hard. It's really hard doing it that way. And especially I, when you have everybody else screaming at you to make an IPA or do this and do that. I mean, early on when we were going, it was we it was the same shit for us. I mean, it was hard. We took lumps for years. Yeah. Slow growth for you years. You still do in a, in a lot of ways. You know, there's yeah. there's people that'll give you shit for not having that thing, whatever it is that they want you to have. Or people who just don't get it. They just don't get our products and it makes them angry. And like, whatever, don't drink it. I don't care. Just don't buy it. <laughs> How can it's you be angry hard? with a brewery that makes Key Punch? <laughs> <laughs> I like pinwheel more than Key Punch personally, but... Um, is it frustrating on a different level kind of as somebody who uh, is uh, one of the, the, the craft people to, to kind of be almost stuck inside this world of, uh, of, of fruit tarts and to not be able to kind of jump out of that and show people that there's this other way to do craft beer um, that other, other folks maybe aren't. Uh- I mean, I gave a presentation at the OCBA this past year about uh, what our kind of internal business strategy is distilled down. It's get rich in your niche. It's own what you do and do it the best and own that share of mind. If someone thinks of fruit beers or fruit beverages, I want them thinking of Urban Artifact and that's it. Right. That has been our philosophy since, well, I can't say day one because it was sour and some other stuff, but we've narrowed it and narrowed it and narrowed it and honed and honed and honed. And that's what frustrates me the most is when I talk to these other people about like, why aren't you doing that? Also, I know it's a lot harder. I know your distributor is telling you make an IPA because an IPA is going to sell, but you got to tell your distributor to go fuck themselves because all they want is short-term gain. They just want those easy sales. They don't care about the long, they do care, but they don't. Like Long-term success isn't their priority for your, their brand, your brand. Right. It's, it's their priorities making sales this quarter, this month, making sales right now. And we got hammered about that all the time. And that's why we made Phrenology, which was our wild IPA made with Brett. Didn't sell very well, but it was our compromise of doing something on brand while trying to give them what they want. And it was this half-assed kind of in-between thing, even though Pace Magazine did vote it 11th best IPA in the country. Uh, uh, it, you just got to stick to it. And it's hard. It's just really hard because then people are going to tell you you're dumb. They're going to tell you don't know what you're doing. It's going to take people a long time to get it. But then when they get it, now all of a sudden you're an institution, and that's my that's our next goal. Is I want to be up there as a brand, Urban Artifact, Missing Link Fest, all the things I we do, Bruce guys, anything I'm working with is I'm going for institution status. I want to be up there with Cincinnati Chili. I want to be up there with Graders. I want to be on these lauded, vaulted levels of infamy locally, regionally. Yeah. Now, is that crazy to say? Yeah, a lot of people are probably scoffing right now that are listening to it. Like, oh, look at the fucking hubris on this motherfucker. You're not wrong. But I'm working towards it, God damn it. And that's what I'm going to do. I I believe in that so deeply. Uh, you know, not to compare myself with anything that you guys have done or any other people who are that institution. But that's that's been my mindset since I was a kid about stuff. You know, it's if you're going to do something... Uh, do it right and and don't trust anybody else to tell you what's right. Do it the way that you know is the right way to do it. I uh, got all fired up last night when I saw Top Gun, uh, which will fire anybody <laughs> up. But I came home and I was talking to my wife and I said, honey, she's never seen Top Gun at all. I said, we got to sit down and we got to watch this movie. I'm like, you know, we got to watch the first one and then we're going to go or back. There's a gonna divorce. <laughs> and, and I said, because... Uh, this is, you know, I, I can remember as a, as a young kid watching Top Gun and you're just feeling so strongly about this, this character, this, this maverick who does things his own way because he knows that's the way it's supposed to be done and it doesn't matter what anybody else tells you. And I guess that same thing. It's like, that's, that's that, that genesis in my life of when all of that started to click and just that middle finger to people around you. I'm like, look, I, if it fails, it fails, but it's right. Yes. <laughs> just do it the right way. Way we went, we went down a huge <laughs> rabbit hole. Uh, we didn't even talk about the beer that we were drinking. It's fantastic. I will say though, of this rabbit hole and Brett's hubris, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's the thing I love about the whole explanation of the fruit tart. It's like I'm Brett Coleman Baker, and I've reinvented beverages. <laughs> 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 it's, but it, when you say it like that, I feel like a prick. <laughs> but I've and I've I've talked to to, to people that that is kind of how they, they see it. They, they, they can't look past that surface of like, Oh, those guys made their own freaking beer style. How, you know, how obnoxious is that? And it's like, well, no, 
Like it's, it's not obnoxious. It's what, it's what everybody should be doing. It's what everybody, th- these people that we, we, you know, love in craft beer, that's what they did. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's honest. You, you talk, it's honest. About, you know, mm-hmm. Fritz Maytag, you know, owning what steam beer was and making right. it their own thing, legally making it their own thing. Uh, and then, you know, you people like Ken Grossman who took pale ale and turned it into what we think of pale ale now. Like that's, that's what this is about. Like that's, that's what beer is supposed to be about. That's you know, the beauty of it. The, you know, beer styles were styles because somebody said, Hey, this is the way we do it here, or this is the way this is supposed to be. And, uh, uh, why did we lose sight of that? And why did we fall off of that mindset of things? Are we, uh, in, in, in a lot more parts of our life than just beer. And, um, I think, I think we're, we're prime as a culture to, to take things back and kind of go down a different road again. Yeah, I don't know how philosophical and whatnot you want to get, but the whole risk-reward philosophical piece, I feel, has a lot to do with it. And I don't know. You could argue that our, um, we as Americans train to take this, this soft and easy route anymore than the, than the hard way. Is American ingenuity still a thing? Is it not? I don't know. Uh, but sometimes it feels like the bleak answer is the right answer or the, the, the current answer rather than what the right answer is. But who knows? Well, I think they're... they're- very different types of American dreams. When you talk about the American dream, there's, you know, there's the people, the, um, the outliers that kind of forge their own path, create their own thing, reinvent beer, whatever it may be, you know, it's, then you have those people that their American dream is just kind of fitting into a mold and, you know, having the, That's a good uh, the, the two story house with a dog and a white picket fence and a minivan sitting in the driveway. And that's their American dream. That's exactly what they want to be. And that's, that's fine, but you need, other people too. You need all of these different parts of it to make this whole thing what it is. And uh, maybe that exists with beer too. <laughs> that's as we dance around this whole thing. Uh, it's probably okay that uh, um, there are people making mass marketed crap. Um, you know, what I've really been loving to see who I really think embodies what craft is and can be without just getting weird and trying to make up your own thing that doesn't exist. I think what narrow path and Chad and the stuff they've been doing lately, living that beer artistry on one hand, but then also on the other, making the standards that they know is going to work and sell, but making them their way. I mean, what yeah. they're doing is it's just, it's really cool to see. Like, it's awesome. Like I love hearing all the things they're doing with the fruit and different fermentation techniques and pushing boundaries, their own personal boundaries on that end. And on the other, like, no, we're going to make a really good cream ale. We're going to have it available. And it's going to be the best cream ale. If you just want to come in and crush beer, like right. that's, Oh man, that's just, that's, that's craft right there to me. See, it exists. It's around. It's around. (laughs) (laughs) There's a light at the end of this, uh, uh, chaotic tunnel that we're in the middle of there. There are people out there that are doing it, uh, again, the right way that is what I've defined as the right way. But, um, you know, I, I think without, I think without all of the other stuff, you, you, maybe you don't, uh, you don't see it. You don't know. You don't appreciate it. You don't, um, I don't know. it, 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 this has to exist for this has to have to, to, to exist. You know, if that, if that makes any sense at all for you guys that are listening, <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, peaches and cream is the, uh, the nitro beer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredible. I like it. It's not, I mean, it probably scientifically is as tart as some of the other ones, but it doesn't taste that way to me because the carbonation doesn't lend that. Uh, I think the carbonation and the, insane amount of vanilla that's in that to give it the, the cream portion. I think all those temper the perceived acidity. Um, it's, it goes down really, really easy too. <laughs> if it goes over well, we'll make more. We'll do a whole and cream series, berries and cream, and cream, strawberries and cream. Yeah. <laughs> that's all I need. <laughs> we'll see if it goes well. I think there's a lot of good opportunity out there in the market for us to try to capture some uh, nitro handles. It's not just Guinness or another stout. So. Sure. Well, and that's, you know, they're, there are a lot of people that have tried different nitro things over the years without really thinking about why they're presenting something as a nitro beer versus something else. But yeah, remember Cauldron when we did that? <sighs> we actually ma- we made a authentic Irish stout and like Guinness the three, you know Guinness has what they call like the uh, oh shit what do they call it? Uh, it's like the thing that makes Guinness Guinness. They call it like the Guinness essence. Yeah, and they actually sour a portion of Guinness and then they blend in like two percent sour into every batch. And then that's what makes Guinness taste like Guinness. So 
We did that. I made a portion that was like 5% sour base and I blended it into a 60 barrel batch. And like we made an authentic dry Irish stout and I mean, it fell flat on its face. <laughs> I thought it was delicious. <laughs> uh, I don't remember. I'm sure I had it, but I was like um, 15 or 16. It was a long time ago. Yeah, there's been a lot of beer since then. Um, this next one, uh, spicy key lime. I haven't tried it yet. Yeah, it's hot as shit. Um, it's got a lot of different spicy peppers in it. And really the reason I wanted to pop those ones open is because the we've redid our pilot program this year. We brought in some new tanks, some new smaller oh, yeah, tanks. Spicy. Yeah, it's Reapers and Ghost Peppers and Habaneros. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, that's a spicy beer. Are you <laughs> done with this? Yeah, have at it. And so we're doing, we're just doing more fun things with it. Uh, we're able to not, we had two barrel tanks. We were just pulling off for the variants, but we wanted to expand beyond variants and start making unique individual beers for the pilot program instead of just variants all the time. So. Right. We invested some money into it at the end of last year. We got it up and going and we're now doing like different themes every month. And it's really fun because the brewers get to do things that I would normally normally otherwise say there's no way in hell I want something like that. So I'm not going to brew it. Uh, but then we get to brew those anyway, like this blueberry grape and terpenes uh, train wreck of a beer that actually came out really nice. <laughs> but it's, it's dry hopped. It's got um, terpenes in it that you would normally find in, you know, marijuana. And it's got blueberry and grape, like a Midwest fruit tart. So I wouldn't, I don't care for hops. I don't care for uh, cannabis either. Uh, and I wouldn't make something like this, but we were able to make something like this because the new program and our brewers love it and our customers have really enjoyed it. So otherwise I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't have done this personally because it's not something I want to drink, but right. I, I think I said the same thing about three times now. But I think that's, again, that's, that's part of the fun of it is it's not, you know, finding ways to push yourself out of that comfort zone and do things that um, get your brain working in a different way than it might work otherwise is part of craft. It's part of the thing. It's it's part of pushing yourself into these different areas that maybe maybe when you make something like this, it might make you think about something else that you do want to drink. <laughs> That's a really good point. And it's something that we... Um, you know, there's a lot of things that we don't do anymore because I tried them before, but we have a lot of new people and they come on board and they're like, why don't we do any dry hop fruit beers? And I'm like, well, because dry hops kind of suck. And uh, so then the, the question or the, uh, the conversation usually goes like, okay, if you can figure out how to make dry hops work in these beers, because I haven't yet, let's do it. Uh, because I'm not going to ever try it again on my own because it's not worth my time or thought. And I just don't want to, but it's absolutely worth us continuing to investigate that. And then that's how we get something like this. That actually came out quite fucking nice. Hey, when you put uh, when you put terpenes on on the label in my head, it's going to taste a very specific way, and it doesn't smell that way. Well, this uh, spicy key lime is burning my throat. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be able to taste anything else. <laughs> and I like both hops and cannabis. In fact, so. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and then, uh, you know, our customers, our Small Batch Society members, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, they're my favorite people here at Urban Artifacts, so it's fun that we can push the boundaries with them, and they're all about it. We can make, like, this strawberry gazpacho one that we'll have next with roasted red peppers, garlic, peppercorn, and vanilla. You can't just put that on the store shelves and have it sell. You can't make, I mean, some people make terpene beers, but we can't make a terpene beer and throw it on the shelf but we can absolutely make it and throw it to the small batch society and see what they like and what they don't like and right. get feedback and talk about things and, and get creative, uh, which is a lot of fun for everybody. Before we talk about that one, I want to talk about a uh, missing link a little bit um, because that's probably part of the title of the show. And we haven't talked about it at all. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> um, We're what? 45 minutes in. <laughs> yeah. Um, so did this happen last year? I don't know. I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I think, uh, I think, I think we, we started with missing links. So then by the time it went down some kind of rabbit hole of chaos, uh, we, we had already covered it, but, uh, missing link. I mean, the, the story again, like I said, I'm going to put links in the show notes to the other episodes. You guys found yeast in an old loggering, uh, tunnel, uh, yeast that probably shouldn't exist, shouldn't be there. Um, propped it up, made a beer out of it, and then gave the yeast away to the city of Cincinnati, decided to start a festival around this yeast. Um, 
uh, fill in any gaps that I'm missing here. That, holiday? I, I mean, the, the official Cincinnati yeah, the city holiday? city did make it a holiday. And to explain why we appear to misspell the word link, the space that we found it in, the lagering cellar that it came from, was originally the F&JA Link Brewery. So it was the name of a couple of brothers. And they it, they actually alternatively spelled it L-I-N-K and L-I-N-C-K. But it's a hell of a lot easier to buy domain names and things for L-I-N-C-K. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's, that's, where, uh, that's where the funky spelling comes from. Um, and I... I'm, there's no way I'm going to put all these links in the show notes. Uh, I, I did, I did put together like a little, uh, as much history as I could find about the, uh, the link brewery. Um, on that the was website. an awesome read. Um, it's re- there's not a lot of stuff out there about, <laughs> about them, but, uh, the park that's right by the, uh, the old Moorline brewery in OTR, there's a park right there. That's where the brewery was. Um, after the, the brewery closed, which, it didn't last very long. <laughs> um, they, Five years. Um, not only were there a couple other really big names that that used that space, they also used the the loggering tunnels. Uh, so uh, <laughs> the yeast, who knows what it's from? <laughs> it could yeah. be from a lot of different things. Well, you have a pretty good theory that it's probably Prohibition era. Yeah, yeah I, I suspect that it's probably bootleg. Uh, just because that fermenter they would have never fermented in that lowest level of lagering right. cellars. You know, they would have fermented in the level above and just lagered on the first one. So it doesn't make a lot of sense that there's a fermenter down there. Now that doesn't mean, you know, because some of these samples came from scrapings within the barrel. So it's theoretically possible that, you know, that was hanging out in there the whole time. I mean, that was one of the problems with pre-prohibition beer, all this wood, vats for everything you could never really properly clean them right you know you just kept sealing them with pitch so um it's possible that that it was hanging out in the wood from even before but my best guess if i had to lay money on it i would say this is from somebody's hooch during prohibition it's probably a you know homebrew recipe right but either it's way it's mystery either way <laughs> that's half the fun of it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Come it, down. Shouldn't, it shouldn't have been there. It shouldn't have been there, you know, regardless. Come so. down June 4th and decide for yourself. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I think this year is going to be cool too, because uh, every year that goes by, I think the other brewers around the city get a little more creative with it, kind of get a little more curious about what the yeast can do and how to, how to bring out different sides of its personality. And well, I haven't even told you this yet, but on Monday when I shared a missing link post on Facebook page, I had four other uh, local brewers reach out and be like, what the hell, man? Why didn't you invite us? (laughs) Well, shit, I only invited people this year that I thought I could twist their arm into doing it because I felt like it was such an imposition. So, (laughs) so let's, let's put it out there right now. If you're, if you're listening to this and you want to take part in missing, like just shoot them an email. You're in (laughs) next year. You're in. I didn't think people wanted to do it. You're in. I mean, I, I technically you can't tell anybody no to make a missing link beer. They can. That's although, very true. Although you, the name missing link, that is probably, that's not property of the city of Cincinnati, right? Correct. And I mean, so the, the low, the logo, that type of thing is proprietary, but you can use, the, you can use the yeast. Yeah. yeah. Just call up Omega uh, yeast labs in Chicago and they'll sell you a pitch. Go ahead. Have well, fun. I'm also really curious to see how many home brewers uh, rock something out this year. I've talked to a couple people. I think it's close to 30. I think um, we're going to have about 40 entries in total because people so did cool. multiple. So cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Speaking of which, if you want to guest judge uh, Friday, June 3rd, swing on by. That is the weekend I'm going out of town. Oh. Vacation weekend. <laughs> That's more fun. Fr- Friday, June 3rd. No, I'm Friday, June 3rd, I will be in a car for like 13 hours with my family. Should we uh, send and- some beers with you and you can Zoom judge? <laughs> that might be fun. Um, I uh, I will be here next next year. I promise. <laughs> I'm not going to let my family schedule things on important weekends anymore. Keep saying that. Uh, uh, the, so how many breweries are officially involved this year? 10 total. Okay. That um, counts artifact and the humble. And all the beers will be on tap during the festival. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of half year, half across the street, a humble monk. Uh, we'll have food. We'll have some, we'll have the rind here selling cheese. We're doing a beer and dessert pairing. First thing we're doing a cheese and beer panel and pairing in the evening. That's going to be 
a lot of fun. Uh, late, local four, four o'clock, late afternoon. Actually. Oh, I guess that's not evening. It's old person <laughs> evening. Uh, It'll probably feel like evening. <laughs> <laughs> Chris Anderson, uh, local YouTube personality, will be here hosting that, uh, as well as uh, a great panelist uh, lined up to talk about mold and funguses and things that make cheese and beer. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Mike and I are going to give some drunken tours. That's going to be pretty wild. And I heard there's going to be someone dressed up as a in a Sasquatch costume all day, uh, getting weird. So that sounds warm, <laughs> <laughs> but we still have to draw straws. For <laughs> I, I think the idea of, of this, this whole thing could is, um, uh, really fun. <laughs> I think like long-term you, you talk about uh, making beer with this yeast, but uh, when you start thinking about some of the foods that could be done, that could be fermented with a brewer's yeast that maybe is kind of funky. Um, I, I, like, there's just so many fun things that people could do to get involved in something like this and let it grow over time. Um, that's the beauty. I, and that's exactly what we want to foster. And just what made Bachfest so special and is so special is that people took it on as their own and it's not owned by Christian Morline Bachfest. It's owned by the city. Like even when they shut it down, that people still did the parade right. when they weren't supposed to. Like right. that is awesome. <laughs> and there's no reason the city, this city that was built on beer history, shouldn't have more than two, three, four, half dozen I, once a month a beer festival that celebrates all that. Well, I mean, if you look at the way, uh, and and I know Oktoberfest is a very commercial type oh, yeah. of beer holiday, mm -hmm. but if you look at what Oktoberfest has become everybody has an Oktoberfest around the same time of year. Every little place, there could be some random Joe's bar that, Hey, tonight's our Oktoberfest. You know, we're going to, we're going to make hot dogs. <laughs> and I like that. I want that. I want that. Even if you kind of miss the point of what it's about, right. the fact that you can take part in it, I think is so important to let things kind of grow and become something um, much bigger than, than uh, anybody can envision it from the get go. And, and that's what Oktoberfest became. And mm -hmm. it's what, Bachfest is becoming, and it I think will be what Missing Link becomes too. It's um, there's there's been lessons to learn from all of that too. Sure, uh, of how to kind of uh, of how to to grow without losing your soul. So uh, you know, hopefully we do both of those things, but time will tell. What is the soul of Missing Link? It's really the beer. So you know, we are we're doing some fun things and like next year we're going to have a parade that we took off the table this year because it was just going to require a whole lot of additional work and bandwidth. And we were trying to get the parts of it that we put together this year, right? But, um, next year we'll have an evolutionary themed parade and, you know, these tastings and tours that we're doing are, are all uh, pretty unique and, um, fun twists on things. But, at the end of the day, we wanted to make this festival really focus on the craft of craft beer making. So this yeast, it is funky. It is weird. And, and you know, as Brett said, it's not a particularly easy thing to brew with. But it is very flavorful. So it, it creates incredibly funky, unique beers. And it's almost like a brewing challenge. Right. You know, take this weird ass yeast and let your freak flag fly and make whatever you want with it. And, you know, I think that one of the things that irritates me uh, about a lot of the festivals today, and I agree, I mean, I love beer festivals, but what I really hate is like 10,000 drunk people at a convention center uh, just getting hammered with a pretzel around their neck. You know, it's not really about the beer anymore. It's about how drunk you can get. So, mm. you know, this one, I think the soul of it is the craft of making beer. And See, even that's going to be important to even in Even in that, it still isn't really about the beer. It's about the craft behind the beer. It's about the, right. the people. It's about, it's still about something else. It's, yeah. uh, to me, that's, that's the soul of, of, of this festival versus other ones is that it's yeah. a very different, uh, it's a very different side of, um, of beer. Let's get weird you know, and it, figure out who we really are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going to see the real side of a lot of people. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, that you know, you're, sounded you're, like a you're threat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you're right, uh, and I think that you know the the celebration of 
the city's history and connection to beer, that's also an important part of it. I mean, the whole idea of this heritage yeast, where the hell does this yeast come from? Yeah. I mean, it comes from an old lagering cellar. Uh, what are its exact origins? We're never going to know. But it is a living piece of Cincinnati brewing history. No other city has that. There's no other city in this country that has a heritage yeast strain. So I think that it's also important, you know, to really make Cincinnati the focus of this festival. And one day, you know, long-term goals, there are a lot of breweries that we would have loved to ask to be part of this this year. But, you know, everybody that you ask to be part of it, Brett and Humble Monk have to buy beer from them. And, you know, there's A, the feeling that it's an imposition to ask you to make a beer that we can't guarantee we're going to buy much of at all. Right. And it's also an imposition on Urban Artifact and Humble Monk to guarantee that they're even going to buy six stills of beer from 20 different breweries. Right. Well, then these breweries are stuck then with, depending on batch size, potentially right. a lot of beer to sell. Right. Which is... In theory, fine, but until you go into the market and try to sell this weird thing, if everybody's right. not on board, I mean, even look at Box, outside of a two-month period, you ain't selling fucking shit for right. Bach in the city. Right. Yeah, but but you you look at uh, Oktoberfest or Bach beer and look at how much does exist around the city. Like, you know mm -hmm. it can happen. Like, yes. you know we, we can get to that point where yes. uh, Missing Link, especially since Missing Link... It's not a beer style. Like it's not. Uh, it's not. A, it's just a one specific yeast that uh, can be a lot of different things. So like, there's there's no reason that a brewery couldn't make a beer that they firmly believe that they could sell that also kind of fits the idea of missing link. Yeah, you can do sours with it. You can do hefeweizens with it. You can do all sorts of very summery beers. Right. Uh, so you're not painted in a corner the way you are with a Bach beer that. Really, I mean, to me, like a Doppelbach, it's got to be about 10 degrees <laughs> for me to want, even think about wanting a Doppelbach. I'm endlessly fascinated by Bach beer because uh, we didn't quite hit it this year. It was really close that there were more Bach beers, more separate Bach beers brewed than Oktoberfests. That's crazy to me. The, yeah. the Bach beer, this thing that was close. We were like just a couple off. Wow, really? And now that's kind of, that's not really fair because there were a lot of, nobody ever makes a Oktoberfest with something, with coffee or with something else. But whereas right. people do mm -hmm. that with their Bach, they'll make the Bach and then do a coffee Bach and whatever. Um, so it's not really a fair comparison, but but it kind of is. Like the fact that there were so many different Bach beers um, and it's a style that people only want to drink for a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but but it is, but that does tell you something. I think Oktoberfest is a pretty specific style. So you know, is coffee Bach really Bach? No, <laughs> but, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that is breweries getting creative about how do I not get but trapped? Shout, in, shout out into, to Sam Adams. Their coffee Bach this year was incredible. By the way, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So not not throwing shade. Yeah, I mean the fact that it's not really a Bach doesn't mean it can't be a good beer. <laughs> right. It means the brewery's getting smart enough to not be pigeonholed in a corner that mm -hmm. it's only going to sell for two weeks. And missing link. So Bach with that attitude has uh, more versatility to it than an Oktoberfest does. And missing link gives you a lot greater versatility than that. And, you know, my broader point about the future is we intend to take this park over here in Northside. And I would love to see some of the best breweries from across the United States start to want to be part of this and us getting beer from all across America. Oh, you I know, figured that's we'd just tell them no. <laughs> You're not oh. from here. Fuck off. <laughs> What's no, that? The shoots? <clears throat> oh, go fuck yourself. The, the trick is this park is filled with Cincinnati breweries making missing link. And then down the street, there's like this little booth for somebody that wants to be involved and they have to like shout, Hey, we're down here. You, know? <laughs> you can go to the B team area. <laughs> there's, there are so many breweries in the city and, and a lot of them are really great breweries um, that I don't we don't need to shoots here. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I mean, we have so many here now that you can get 70 great beers without going beyond 275. Right. Although this year we do have Carillon coming down and we're pretty geeked about that. Uh, we're big fans of those guys. Well, and, but, I mean, Dayton's um, 
Cincinnati suburb. I, I count them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about astronaut food. Uh, if we can just completely shift gears. Um, this has got everybody all riled up this week. <laughs> <laughs> this is what the most expensive beer in the world. Is that what, what we're, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, let's uh, let's clarify what that means. Yeah, it's just it's the most expensive beer uh, on an ingredient basis. So there's nothing else that you could possibly make more than beer. It's anything, spirits, uh, wine, no matter what, any fermented beverage. This is the most expensive on an ingredient basis out of any fermented beverage in the world. And that's what, that's the clarification. Could I just charge $2,000 a can and claim it's the most expensive beer in the world? Yeah, I could, but that'd be stupid. Like this is an actual thing. I can't get around the actual cost of this to me. This isn't a cost to you, the consumer thing. So like I am paying more than any single entity in the entire world to make this beverage of any beverage that you can buy that's fermented. And the fact that it's only $30 a four pack is honestly ludicrous. Um, so, uh, you know, that's it. It just costs a shitload of money. We didn't set out to make it this expensive either. I see a lot of people like, <laughs> oh, another gimmick bullshit, blah, 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 blah. Well, first of all, I don't write the goddamn headlines, okay? <laughs> What's going to make you get clicked more? A, a nuanced headline that's two sentences long talking about how on an ingredient basis and like breaking down what a fermented beverage is versus just something that has gold in it? Sure. Okay, great. <laughs> or just call it the most expensive keg in the world and you're going to get clicks. So that's what these places do. And we didn't set out to make it that way anyway. What we set out to do was like, how can we fit more fruit into our products? Like that was it. That was the question. We were joking about it one day, having beers after work, which we do try to do on Fridays. Uh, we do uh, our, our market research. And uh, <laughs> we were like, well, how the hell can we fit more fruit into our beers? We're like, because you just add more fruit and you're just adding more water. It gets to the point where like all of a sudden you just, you, you're turning into wine, you know? Right how can you add more fruit without diluting it and still keeping a beer? And then someone made a joke about, well, duh, you just got to remove the water from the fruit. And then all of a sudden we were just like, oh shit, you <laughs> removed the water from the fruit. And then that's when freeze dried fruit kind of, uh, it hit us and we were like, well, shit, let's find it. We found it. It was hella expensive. It's like $30 a pound uh, on a, it's 11 pounds to make one pound of freeze dried fruit. Even on that basis, dividing by 11, it's still like three and so times what we normally spend on like one pound of puree on that equivalent basis. So it ain't cheap. We are like, but can we do this? Because this would be really cool to make a freeze-dried fruit beer. Like, this is insane. This is more fruit. This is more fruit than wine. <laughs> this has more well, fruit in it than wine does. Well, that's what, when I think it was, I think it was the seltzers when the seltzers came out and somebody said, this is more fruit than fruit juice. <laughs> <laughs> this, this actually is. <laughs> like, that's the, that, like, I, I, you know, not that I'm not sitting around and drinking a ton of astronaut food any night of the week because... Uh, it's also very high ABV. It's, uh, uh, it's, 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 it's sweet. It's a, uh, it's, it's, it's a hearty beer. <laughs> it drinks more like a port to me than it does anything else. Yeah. I, I think that's a good way to put it. Um, but the science behind, uh, or not, I don't even know that the science is the, the right way to put it. Cause I think that kind of leads you down a different road. It's just the engineering. The, yeah. The, the, the um, uh, the craft, the, the craft of trying to come up with this product, I the think craft. is, is, is just so brilliant. And so, um, it, it makes me feel good about this industry and about the people that are in it and knowing that there's still people like, Hey, can you do that? And finding a way to do it. I, I think that that's, that's fun. Like, and I, we're, we've lost, you know, kind of going back to the, the earlier discussion, we've just kind of lost a lot of that, um, that experience as drinkers of walking in somewhere and, and finding a drink that is just fun for fun's sake. <laughs> well, and if anyone wants to continue to scoff, but I mean, by, by all means, I'm not going to stop you, but I will say we, we debated heavily internally about this too. This isn't the first time we made this beer. It's like the fifth or sixth, if you count the top secret beers. Right. Uh, and even then half the team was just like, no, nah, we're not about gimmicks. We don't need to put out a press release on that. And I pushed heavily to put it out because my whole thing was, you're going to get clicks. You're going to get views. It's a game everybody plays. We have a great card. Let's use this because we know they're going to write clickbait headlines. And then we can tell our story using what we know 
basically, let's manipulate the media. Media instead of them manipulating us for a change, let's manipulate them, and that's that's what we did. We right. we used this story that we didn't set out to create to tell our story of using real fruit and right. and everything we stand by. So I, you know, it wasn't we we didn't set out to make a gimmick. We made a, I guess you could say we made a gimmick and then took advantage of it. Well, I, you know, I'd, I've talked to, uh, with um, uh, Paul down at Birkus about gimmicks and beer <clears throat> a lot because he's a little gimmicky. Yeah. I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think having a, a gimmick in anything, be it a specific beer or... A, we make a, fucking a, pickle. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's okay to have a gimmick as long as it's good and as long as it means something, as long as it is a, a thing that is true to you. And this it's definitely a gimmicky beer in a really, really good way. This is the best one so far. I like this, uh, this batch of astronaut food better than the other ones. Um, I think it's good. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Yeah. Paul, there's a quote from Paul in my, uh, Cincinnati beer book, uh, about gimmicks. And, and I thought it was a brilliant statement, you know, something to the effect that, yeah, of course I got gimmicks. You know, every brewery has a gimmick. But at the end of the day, you have to have good beer behind it. So yeah, oh, I'm a clown with a fucking circus. But if the beer <laughs> sucks, you know nobody's going to come back. Right. And that's great. And no. both the beer and the circus are good. <laughs> I'll, I'll balance a keg on my face, but uh, the beer in it has to be good. <laughs> it's uh, but I mean, and and uh, not to compare uh, a beer uh, to a, a, a clown, um, but it's all kind of the same thing. It's all the same game. And, um, I I like it. I I like having something that you can, you can find and you can say, this is different about this. And this is why you should go here versus somewhere else. Um, sometimes people need something that is very quick and clickable. (laughs) They do. And at the end of the day, I mean, the liquid is good. You can't say you've ever tried anything like this because there's no way you've tried anything like this before. It just doesn't exist. I I, I was talking to somebody about it the other day because they were all fired up about the articles. And um, uh, (laughs) Sam Adams does it every two years when they release Utopias. This uh, press release goes out, uh, you know, this uh, strongest traditionally made beer. It's illegal in 13 states and it's, it's a very clickable headline and they do it every single time it's a great beer. It's, it's a fantastic beer. I love Utopias, but uh, I hate the articles that come out. Of it. <laughs> it's all the same thing over and over and over again. Um, this is a, this is a fun one. If you guys haven't tried astronaut food, I get it. It is expensive compared to some of the other things you buy, but it's not that far off. I mean, how many people are buying $20 four packs at 60 ounce cans? And I, I get that difference in volume, but um, uh, you can get a taste. not for- that far. I think you can get a taster for five or six, which is four ounces down here at our tap room if you want to try it. And that's that's literally a serving of alcohol. It's fifteen percent ABV, four ounces is that's 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 a beer right there. So Yeah. I mean and that honestly, you don't you don't need to sit and drink a whole four pack <laughs> <laughs> all at once. So um this is fun. What what does the future for uh, astronaut food, astronaut food look like? Does it, uh, mm-hmm. do you, do you guys keep going with this idea and trying different fruits and stuff, or is it going to stay this limited kind of, uh, once a year, maybe kind of thing? Yeah, it'll be the once a year thing. We'll try new fruits, uh, different combos when we can. A lot of it's just, I, it, there's not that much freeze dried fruit in, in the world. <laughs> It, it took me six months to get the fruit just for this one because there's just not that much blackberry freeze-dried fruit out there. So it, it took a long time just to source it. So could you freeze-dry we'll your own fruit? Oh, no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what's involved with the process of freeze-drying fruit. <laughs> uh, cold temperatures and big vacuums. So uh, not, not, not anything we can do. Okay. I guess I could bust, bring the Dyson into work and put it in the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the science behind any of this crap, guys. Uh, there's a. I just I hope people understand that part of the uh, part of the excitement about Urban Artifact and part of uh, why so many of us love this place. It, it's not just about the the liquid itself. It's it, it is about this uh, this culture of it and this idea of, and I, I hate to keep using the word craft, but this, this idea that you can, uh, you can put yourself into, um, a beverage and to pushing the boundaries of what that means and to doing it in a way that is, um, crafty. 
<laughs> you know, I, I just, <laughs> in this world, uh, it, it has become so much more valuable now than ever before. And when you find those places that, uh, um, meet that, uh, you latch onto them. And I, I think that's why I've fallen up with love with urban artifacts so much personally. Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree. That's the, the places I love most. The people I love most are in the people I get along with best is it, all because of that. It's they live that through their own life, being true to themselves, doing the best they can. And, uh, you know, seeking inward approval, I guess, first. But I don't know. Yeah. Where does it go from here? I'm trying to think how I can become more of a heel. How can <laughs> I... <laughs> How can more people yes. dislike me? <laughs> uh, and on top of that, if beer wise, we got extra thicks coming out this year again um, in cans. I'm very excited. I have a lot of innovation coming around that innovation. It's not really innovation. It's, it's just solution building. But uh, I'm going to make a shelf stable, extra thick beer that won't uh, separate, even if it's sat on the shelf for, you know, over a month. So... I'm excited about that. I got some cool things playing there. Uh, otherwise, from a beer's perspective, there's not a, a ton else. I mean, the nitro thing we worked on, we're going to keep building it out. The American fruit tarts, we got more of those coming. We got some more rare Midwest fruit tarts, yada, 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 small batch stuff. Great. Uh, Mike and I are going to keep cranking out Bruce Guy's podcasts. Yep. The, uh, uh, I don't even know. It doesn't make sense to call it a TV show yet because it's not on television, but that's what, what is a TV show these days? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's very a good confusing. Point. We have a pilot for a video version of uh, Bruce Guys that may see daylight somewhere sometime, but that yeah. sums it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike, you got more a book. later. You got a book in the works too, don't you? Oh well, I've got a book that has nothing to do with beer that I've been working on for ten years and I'm trying to wrap up. But uh, yeah. I've got the two existing what? ones out there that everybody should own at least five What's the book that's of. not about beer about? Uh, it's actually about the 1884 Cincinnati courthouse riot and the causes of it and how it really kind of started to help propel William Howard Taft's political career and also changed some things about the National Guard um, all in a bad way is the largest massacre of civilians by the National Guard in American history. And the whole thing is largely forgotten. Um, and, you know, it's largely forgotten in part because the takeaway was, yay, National Guard, uh, <laughs> which was really not the right lesson to <laughs> learn from it. <laughs> so it's complicated, but... Uh, don't they always say history repeats itself? <laughs> I can think of a few. There are there are a lot there are a lot of parallels to uh, a lot of things going on today, actually. Um, so, yeah, I I think I think it will be good whenever that gets completed, <laughs> edited, and wrapped up. Hopefully by the end of the year. But uh, yeah, well, and and like you mentioned, you do have a couple of books out already that are about Cincinnati beer. Um, I'm not even going to say I'm going to put the links in the show notes because there's <laughs> no way. <laughs> but, uh, you can you can find them. Uh, you have a website that people can buy them on, right? Uh, yeah, QueenCityHistory.com. Uh, and the yeah the the most recent one is called Cincinnati Beer, which is easy to remember. Terrible title. The first one was uh, Over the Rhine when beer was king, and they're not uh, duplicative. Uh, the first one really focuses on the German influence and German immigration. And the second one really filled in all the gaps before and after. So it's really the beginning of Cincinnati beer from the very first brewery in, you know, the late 1700s to what was going on at least up till two years ago. And we did an episode talking about the book. Yeah, we did. I'm not I was drunk a, for that I'm one not going to put a link in the show notes. <laughs> Just search around on my website. You can find the episode. We talked about it a lot. That is one of my favorite books. One of the uh, the hardest ones when I have something in my head. I'm like, I know this was in this book. To find where it was in that book. <laughs> control F, control F. Damn I it. Have, I, I actually do the same thing. I, if you could see how many post-it notes are sticking out of that book right now of different <laughs> topics and so I can find them quickly. It is, uh, it's that is by far my my uh, uh, most post-it notated book. 
Yeah, I, I want, I, I want to like find a statistic or verify a name or something frequently. And I'm like, God damn it. I wrote this book. <laughs> Shouldn't I be able to know where that is? <laughs> but man, it is a good read. So if you guys, if you guys haven't read that book, uh, do that. Um, I believe the, the, the folks, uh, Caroline and Joe over on, um, craft parenting podcast just are wrapping up a, or just wrapped up a series it's like three episodes or something where that's all they talked about was your book for three episodes. Wow. Nice. And, uh, uh, just kind of the, I hope the they history. weren't shitting on it. Though. <laughs> no, was, I, don't, I don't think there was any shitting, <laughs> but uh, actual poop. If you, if you want to hear more people talk about the book before you read the book, uh, go listen to that, but uh, you should, you should read it. Um, is there anything else you guys want people to know about uh, anything that you guys are doing, any of the projects or about uh, Cincinnati beer or missing link or anything. The full lineup for missing link this year and beyond is at missing link. L I N C K.com. I will put that so, link in the show notes. That one will be in there. <laughs> that's, that's got uh, the lineup of what's going on that day. And you know, all of it is free. There's no, uh, there's no beer tickets and there's no, cost to attend it. And there's no cover Beers for bands. Do cost money. Beers do cost money. <laughs> yes. And the tours and uh, tastings do cost money. And there's, you can buy tickets to that. Um, they're on sale now on the website. So by the time this airs, they'll um, probably still be a few. And left. if you want to get involved next year, even if you're not a brewer and you just want to help, uh, we could use some help. Um, yeah. So don't hesitate to reach out. I think there's a contact us uh, portal or just, jump on Facebook, find Urban Artifacts, send us a DM on Instagram or Twitter or whatever. It doesn't matter, but just reach out and uh, we would love some help too. And if you're a brewery and you want to make a missing link beer, just make a missing link beer. Just do it. <laughs> yes. And then also let us know if you want to be involved in the official festival next year yeah. too, because we'll make that happen. Excellent guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks uh, and as a reminder, this episode is sponsored by truth beer podcast. Uh, so, uh, Find them on truthbeerpod.com. I hope that's the right website. Uh, find them on, <laughs> on, on, I don't know why you would go to a website to find a podcast. Just search for them on whatever you listen to podcasts on. Truth Beer Podcast. Um, they talk about Cincinnati Beer Podcasts. It's way more fun than it sounds. <laughs> and so thanks to them for sponsoring this episode. And uh, we will be back next week. I have no idea who we're talking about next week, um, but we will be talking about something fun. Um, that is the only thing that's guaranteed. <laughs> Um, thank you guys um, for anybody that uh, doesn't already know how to find information about this show or any other things that I do go to the gnarly you can go to the gnarly slash support and you can support the show that way as a, uh, as a listener or a fan or whatever you want to call yourself so do that since you've recast the voice of Cincy craft <laughs> <laughs>